Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast presented by Focus Press. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by other hosts, Will Harib and Jack Wilkie. And we have a fantastic episode today, something that Jack has been um, thinking about, stewing about. He wrote a great outline for us, and we're really excited to get into that. But before we do, we want to remind everybody, we had talked about it last week, you may have been seeing it on social media, but uh, that is Focus Plus. We are incredibly excited to get this rolling on May 1st. This is our Patreon service, uh, subscription-based service, where you will get a ton of free content, or not free, sorry, a ton of content um, at what I would consider to be a very good price. We were talking off-air about how um, other Patreon places, you know, they, they may give you one podcast. They may give you one or two things, and we've got an entire channel's worth. I mean, we have new videos dropping, a brand new series with uh, Dr. Hare, Brad, um, that, that will be dropping. That's fantastic. Um, a lot of things we're super excited about, so if you want to sign up for this, we uh, would love to have you. We'd love to share all the new content that we're working on uh, with you, but that will be at focuspress.org slash plus, focuspress.org slash plus, and we have the video up if you'd like to see uh, Brad talk about what we have coming. Once again, lots of good content, lots of good stuff that we're pretty excited about. So, fellas, anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah, I wanted to say, and we brought this up again last week, but this is the thing that we're, again, just probably the most excited about is the exclusive feature that we're going to be doing for you guys, for the deep thinkers, for anybody who is subscribed to Focus Plus. Uh, we were workshopping the name before we got on um, as far as the name for the additional segment. Well, what we're going to do um, is the episode, the Think Deeper episodes will continue to drop every Monday for free. You know, nothing new is changing there. Um, but the additional feature that we're adding is everybody who is subscribed to Focus Plus is going to be able to basically have access to us to submit questions, feedback, comments, etc. about the episode after it drops on Monday. And then what we're going to be doing is we're basically going to have an extended 15, 20, 25 minute segment where we're going to kind of continue the discussion about whatever the topic was that Monday on that episode and also directly address everybody's uh, questions and feedback and comments. So, you know, if we have an episode and you have a, a comment or a question about something maybe we didn't cover, you'll get to hear that answered in an exclusive um, segment that'll drop later in the week just for you. Again, just for the Focus Plus subscribers. And so, again, we're excited just to, to see the questions, the feedback that we're going to get that, again, hopefully you are gonna, that you'll be excited about too because, again, it's going to be directly responding to you. Um, and so, again, we were workshopping the name before. I think we're going to go with the deep end. Uh, we're trying to exhaust all uses of think and deep and deeper and all those things. So uh, the deep end is what we're going with, the deep end segment. The plan is, again, episodes will drop normally every Monday. Uh, the plan right now is you will have until Wednesday at midnight to submit any questions, any comments, any feedback that you'd like to have addressed in that segment. And then we will drop the... Um, the, the audio segment that is answering all those, that exclusive feature, the deep end segment, you know, either later in the week or that following Monday, that, that part which we're still trying to figure out there. But again, that's what we're most excited about, I'd say. Again, a ton of other stuff, as, as Joe referenced. But uh, Jack, I'll hand it to you for anything else you want to add as far as just reasons to be excited about Focus Plus. Yeah, it's just so much content. I mean, I mentioned last time Will is working like crazy to get things up and uh, video, audio, uh, text articles I mean just all kinds of stuff and so uh, very excited to roll that out for you guys um, 
Yeah, focuspress.org slash plus is you just sign up, give us your email address there. You're not signing up for the service there. You're not giving us any money. You just want to hear about it and know when it's available and, and what exactly goes into it. Uh, get on that email list, list and we'll let you know. It launches a week from today. I don't know if we mentioned that already, but May 1st, yeah. A week from today, it will be live. All right. So I believe Joe labeled this a fantastic episode. So that's, uh, right. that's a new one. We're going to roll with it. Fantastic episode. Uh, I hope so. Let's, uh, let's see if we can live up to the hype. What we're talking about today is we're calling it Jesus Versus um, in that it's very easy to recast Jesus as whatever we want him to be. And, and kind of make him, mold him around our, our pet ideas, our, our things that we want to believe. And one of the best ways, or not the best, one of the easiest ways people do that is by deciding and pretending that Jesus is against an idea or a concept or even people that they're against. And so there are a lot of these things that, that we really cast Jesus as, as taking a hard stand against such and such. And, and so we're going to talk about a few of those, of, of Paul, of Rome, of Jesus versus the Old Testament God is, is maybe the best known version. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of these, and they are perpetuated by people who teach error, but it because they're hiding behind Jesus, because they're pushing Jesus to the front, they can make it look like Christianity. They can make it look like truth, and a lot of Christians kind of get hoodwinked by this because they think they're following Jesus into this this battle with an idea that maybe he didn't have as much of a problem with as we think. So before we get to the ones we're going to cover here, did you guys have any anything to add, any uh, other introductory thoughts? No, I think it just it comes from a place of people misunderstanding Jesus and using him for whatever purpose, purpose they want. And that's what we have to guard against is, you know, Jesus is, well, he's all things to all men type of thing, the way Paul is, but that doesn't mean we get to use Jesus for our own purposes. And so a lot of this is bad theology. A lot of this is just twisting scripture and and pretty much done, in my opinion, from a um, kind of a bad heart. You know, we want what we want and we're going to figure out how to use Jesus to get there because, of course, Jesus is loving and Jesus is kind of a pushover and all of these things. And so that's really what I think it's from. But Yeah, go ahead and get us into the first one. So we're going to start with Jesus versus Christians. A lot of anti-church, anti-modern Christianity people kind of have created this false dichotomy that essentially like, boy, I can really love Jesus, but I don't love Christians. Uh, In fact, there's a a Gandhi quote. Well, Well, it's actually Gandhi didn't say it, but... Everyone says he did, and so, did, and so it's very popular. Of well, I love your Jesus, but I don't love your Christians. Uh, and boy, I look at Jesus and I see someone so perfectly lovable and and you know followable, and and I, I like what he has to say, but the Christians have ruined it. Or there's a Thomas Jefferson quote about you know, boy, Christianity would be a lot more successful if not for the Christians who have muddled the message, who have watered down the message. And it's not just Gandhi and Jefferson. There's a lot of people who hold this belief that. Jesus established something perfect, and it's the Christians today who are the problem. It's the hypocrisy and, and, and all of these criticisms of the church. And so uh, let's talk about that a little bit and, and how we see that play out in society as we start this first one, Jesus versus Christians. Well, you hear that a lot with people who, to be honest, it seems like they're looking for an excuse to not go to church, not really be a part of the Christian faith, but they're going to claim Jesus. It is, like you said, Jack, it's, well— I would, you know, I'll take Jesus, I'll come to Jesus in my own way, but I don't really need the church. I mean, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. The church is, 
um, you know, that they've wronged me or they're just, that's not the type of people I want to be around, but you know, I'll, I'll still take Jesus. And again, you hear that quite a bit. People that say that they can worship God just as well in their backyard or on their boat or whatever. And what people like that are missing is that, you know, when somebody, especially when somebody says, I don't need the church, it's Jesus who founded the church. It's Jesus who, uh, you know, instituted the church. And it's something that is the church made up of people, humans that are flawed, that are uh, imperfect, that that struggle? Absolutely. Are there hypocrites that sit in pews on Sunday mornings? Are there hypocrites that uh, you could very easily encounter by attending worship service and by being a part of a congregation? Yeah, for sure. Just like there's hypocrites that you could interact with and 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 uh, you know deal with on any other basis. It's your secular job at the grocery store. I mean, it, it's not. It's, it's one of those things where people make it out like the church is the only place you're going to find hypocrites. And I'm not. I'm not trying to justify the hypocrisy that we see. Of course, those are people that need to change their ways and are quite frankly not reflecting Christ. And that's a problem in and of itself. But again, it's it's almost as if people act like the church is the only place where hypocrites exist. And well, because of that, you know, I'm going to stay away from the church building. I'll still, I'll still profess a belief in Jesus and I'll still claim God, but I'm I'm not going to have anything to do with this church thing, with this Christianity thing. Really, they just claim Jesus, Jesus, and that's such a again such a false dichotomy that that is that cannot be adopted by people. I look at the individual focus on on specifically this one in general. We've got six on our list, but this one's the one to me that is just so selfish. This, I come to Jesus in my own way. I don't really need other Christians. And, you know, Jesus was, I want Jesus. I don't want the Christians. It's not good for me to be alone. I, I have beat this dead horse quite a bit. I know I've talked about this a lot, but Genesis 2.18, first thing in the Bible, it's not good. It's not good for me to be alone. That has not changed when God laid out the plan of, of salvation, and we know he predestined things from the very beginning, going to Ephesians chapter 1, of how this would work out, and he predestined the very idea of the church, he had a beautiful thing in mind, and it's the bride of Christ. I mean, it's so beautiful. And when we give into this, when we fall into this like Jesus first Christians approach, what we're doing is is pretty much acting like the church doesn't really matter. The Christians that make up the church don't really matter because, well, it's just as good for me to, to come to Jesus in my own way. This is the bride of Christ. This is the the you know the people that he laid down his life for. It wasn't just you. It was for all of us. And it's not good for us to be alone. And what did God design? The perfect thing to help us not be alone. The perfect thing to get us through this. Yes, marriage on the front end, but marriage is, is designed to mirror Christ in the church. How special, how beautiful is that? So the individual focus, the selfish idea of like Jesus versus Christians and kind of that Gandhi, I, I don't like the Christians... There's plenty of things that are not to like about other people. That's part of what makes Christianity worth it, is you are on a journey with so many other people who are trying to to do the same thing, right? We're all trying to get to heaven. We're all trying to glorify God. We're all trying to be like Christ. There's a beauty to achieving or, or you know striving for the same goal, and we miss out on that when we act like Jesus was all about the individual. There's a, That's such a Western mindset. Like people in the Eastern world... You know, specifically Jews of that day and, and people even over there now, they're family focused, they're they're the collective focused. And you get over to America and it's like, well, Jesus is, you know, me and him have a relationship. You can't have a relationship outside of it. But what would you expect from somebody in America who doesn't care about family at all and doesn't care about community at all? It, it, this makes perfect sense for a selfish generation that we are. Well, the other thing is when you look at the metaphor of the bride of Christ, that's a powerful metaphor about his love and 
how much he cares about his his bride of the church of Christians uh, the collective of all of us and it's as if what they're saying is that they're, they're standing there with Jesus and with the bride of Christ and telling Jesus boy your bride is so fat and ugly and Jesus is going to look at them and go you know what you're right she's the worst I just can't stand her what do you think no, he loves his bride. And Joe and I have been teaching through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, and there's a lot in there of, hey, you guys aren't acting right. Turn it around or there's going to be trouble. But there's also a lot of, you know what? You got, I've got a great reward for you guys, and keep going. And I, almost as if I'm proud of you. Like, Jesus loves his church. He wants his church to do well. He will call his church to correction when it's needed. But this this idea that people have of that the real relationship with Jesus is found away from Christians no, it's not. Where you see Jesus is through Christians. You'll know uh, your Christians, uh, they'll know your Christians by your love for each other, that how people are going to know that he came from the Father is the unity of the church. And so this idea that you come to Jesus separate from the church, that Christians almost get in the way of you and Jesus, it's not how it works. And so that we, we should not tolerate that criticism and we shouldn't talk that way. So that's number one. Do you guys have anything I was just to gonna, Yeah, I was just going to say this might be a, a weird analogy to use, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen this done before, maybe done it themselves. You know, you have a, maybe a dinner that you just really don't want to go to, an event that you are just, man, a lot going on, you're tired, and you 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 let the person know that you were going to meet or whatever, that, hey, man, I'd love to be there, I was going to come, but my, uh, my kid's got a stuffy nose, or whatever it is. And then you just kind of flake out on it, because let's be honest, you don't want to be there. You, you use any excuse that you can that might have some legitimacy to it, like your kid coughing or having a stuffy nose or whatever, and you say, look, kid's getting sick, it can't be there. On the surface, that might be a legitimate excuse, but it's really just because you didn't want to go to the event anyway. I think that's basically what a lot of Christians do with the church. They'll, they'll use something that, again, on its face might have some legitimacy. There are a lot of hypocrites in the church as we already discussed, but let's be honest. They just point that out because they didn't want to go to church in the first place. They didn't want the they didn't want that side of Christianity in the first place. So again, maybe a weird analogy there, but I think that's that's how a lot of people use this concept, this false dichotomy of, look, you just didn't want that side of God anyway. Uh, and so that's you you use the hypocrisy of Christians to to kind of justify your position. But I'm going to go ahead and move us into the next one. Uh, which is, so that was Jesus versus Christians. The second one is Jesus versus religion. And these guys might disagree with me. This is the one that I see the most, I think, uh, in pop culture, in society, just in culture in general. Um, you, you hear quotes like, you know, I don't have a religion. I have a relationship with God. You know, stuff like that, that really just kind of, you know, puts religion down and makes it seem like, you know, I'm not one of those people. I choose to have a relationship with Jesus instead. I choose to have a relationship with Christ as if those two things are opposed. And really a lot of what this is, is basically, I don't really want the moral side. I don't really want the law side. I don't really want the, there are guidelines as to how I'm supposed to live my life. And so, you know, Jesus, you know, me and Jesus, we've got it all figured out, right? It reminds me of a song I know these guys are not country music fans, and um, this is a country song that for it was from Miranda Lambert a decade plus ago, and it's called Heart Like Mine. Listen to the first verse in the chorus of this song that to me perfectly epitomizes this idea. She says, I'm not the kind you take home to mama. I'm not the kind to wear no ring. Somehow I always get stronger when I'm on my second drink. Even though I hate to admit it, sometimes I smoke cigarettes. Christian folks say I should quit it. I just smile and say God bless. Because I heard Jesus, he drank wine. I bet we'd get along just fine. He could calm a storm and heal the blind, and I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. 
Does that not perfectly sum up exactly what this whole point is? Again, the idea that me and Jesus have got it all figured out. You know, I'm, I'm not really going to be attached to this whole religion thing. I'll just claim a relationship with Jesus. What do you guys have to add to that? Well, I'm just shocked that that came from biblical theologian Miranda Lambert. Right. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, that, that shocks me for sure. Um, but no, I agree with you, actually, that this is probably the one you hear the most. Uh, I, one of the first Christian videos I remember seeing go viral. Uh, there's obviously a bazillion viral videos going back to the beginning of YouTube. But one of the first ones I remember seeing go viral was Jefferson Bethke. And it was this idea of like Jesus versus religion. And it's this spoken word slam poetry. poetry. It was so yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, everybody was into it for sure. It was the coolest thing. Where did that go? Uh, yeah, so a little tongue in cheek. It was not yeah, very exactly cool. it was, no. It was pretty and it cringy. lasted for like six months there, and uh, it was bad. There's a reason it lasted for so short. But I mean, that was a huge. I video. have no idea what these guys are talking about. I'm pretty sure it's because I'm so much younger than them. But you know, you've never seen that it. hurts. Okay. But well, no. oh. we got some homework after. We're oh, gonna slam. have to show Will that slam too. poetry. It's so funny when people talk like this, like they're making a really <laughs> profound point because they talk oh in boy. rhythm. Oh man. And this guy did a whole thing oh, on oh, religion yeah. and relationship to that kind of beat. <laughs> and it's got like 20 million YouTube views oh, or yeah. something. It went and like huge. he wrote a book and like he got a whole career off of this stupid video on that why was all religion about is this. bad, but relationship is good. That's right. Jesus is, is better than, than religion. And it drives me nuts because they'll point to the Pharisees. See, those were the religious folk of the day, and those are the ones that Jesus says, woe to them, right? He, he was woe to the religion. No, no, it wasn't woe to religion. It was to the people who were hypocrites, the people who were holding people to a standard that wasn't right, you know, that didn't, that, that went against God. So people have a very, like, bad understanding of what the Pharisees were all about. It wasn't just that they were the religious folk of the day and nobody else was religious. All of the Jews showing up to Pentecost and all of the Israelites who were who were continually keeping the feast, they were religious too. They just weren't the quote-unquote religious, hip, hypocritical religious elite that the Pharisees were. So I think people need to have a better understanding of who the Pharisees were when they start saying things like that. Something I want to talk about with each of these points is the ideas that this is giving cover for when they pit jesus against this what are they trying to do it's not an abstract thing where they're just saying this throwing it out into the the air but they're trying to bring an idea today that's on the ground right now into legitimacy by pointing back to these things and so when they say well jesus he hung out with sinners and his, his biggest enemy was the religious people so what they would say is jesus would go to the pride parade and he wouldn't he wouldn't be caught dead in your churches he you know all you people who are criticizing and, and saying that sin or even you know to us think deeper some of the things we've talked about well you know it's you religious people that jesus had a problem with it you know the the i don't know pick one of our things we've talked about the, the feminists and the this that and the other thing and you know the homosexuals and the you know jesus would be with them and he'd get down on their level because he hung out with sinners it's like he did but we as we always say he was calling them to repentance and he was calling them back to the law calling them back to where they had gone astray from obeying god and with the pharisees he was saying look you're the leaders you've got this on your shoulders like it's you're going to incur stricter judgment as the new testament bears out with the church as well preachers elders have a higher judgment and saying you've led these people astray yes it was their hypocrisy it wasn't the law itself it wasn't moses that he had a problem with it wasn't any of those things because you see how heavily he quoted it how much he lived by it how he observed the festivals he kept the law he you know where he he criticized them was adding to the law, putting their tradition on the level of law, being hypocrites, but it wasn't religion that he had a problem with. 
culture has done such a good job of recasting Jesus and basically turning him into Joel Osteen, <laughs> right? The guy that, yeah, he, he believes in God and he's going to, you know, he's going to love everybody. He's going to smile at you. He's going to be great. But guess what? He's not going to hold you to any kind of standard whatsoever. And let's face it. That's the Jesus that everybody in the United States wants to uh, profess, right? Wants to claim a belief in. Uh, people like Miranda Lambert that want to profess a belief in God and then basically live however they want to. That's what culture has done. And I wanted to bring this up too, because how many episodes have we talked about the, the youth dropout rate in the church and young people leaving the church? To me, the biggest threat for young people, especially with the way culture again pushes this image of Jesus, is not leaving for atheism or leaving for evolutionary, you know, secular humanism as maybe it once was. To me, it's young people that want to adopt this picture of Jesus, the, the Jesus that's going to let you live however you want to, is never going to set any boundaries for you, not going to have anything to do with law or moral guidelines. And so they think they can serve that Jesus. They think they can show up to church twice a month, claim that Jesus, uh, and support transgenderism, support or be pro-choice, and basically think that they're okay because, well, they're, they're not going to be a part of that religious side, right? They're going to be, a, they're going to be on the Jesus side of things. To me, that's one of the biggest threats for young people walking away from the church. While they might still be here, you know, physically in the church, they've left. If that's their mindset, then they should not count as far as a statistic towards a faithful congregation. And to me, that's what I see a lot of young, the young people that choose activism, right? The young people that that's their passion, but they're still going to claim God and Jesus. They haven't abandoned it for atheism. They've abandoned it for all these things that we're laying out, the the anti-law, the anti-moral side but, you know, because Jesus, Jesus would not have done those things. Well, and you look in Matthew 23, when he's, he's criticizing the religious leaders, he says, you miss the point of the law, you know, that you love and mercy and, and those things. He says, you're so focused on your sacrifices that you missed the weightier matters. But what he doesn't say is, don't worry about the sacrifices. He says, you should have done both. That was his point, is the religious stuff mattered, but you need the heart to go behind it. And that's what he's calling you to, is not get rid of your religion, bring your heart to your religion. What were you going to say, Joe? Well, I was just going to say, what do you think postmodernism, critical race theory, climate activism, what do you think those are? Religions. So we like to say, oh, we're, you know, I'm not religious. No, we're all religious in our own ways. We're all worshiping something in our own ways. We're all going off of the, the moral laws. And you look at woke, um, you know, wokeism. That is a religion because there is a system, and, and same thing with critical race theory, there's a system of grace, there's a system, or not really grace, but a system of law, system of punishment. All of the things that they run from, from Christianity, that, oh, no, I'm with Jesus, I don't believe in those things, like, but you're putting yourself under another religion. You will fall under religion in one way or the other. Even atheism is its own version of religion. We are naturally, inherently religious people. God put it in our hearts. Ecclesiastes talks about that, eternity be in our hearts. I think we're naturally religious people. It's just what religion we're following. So this, to me, this is so stupid. And it goes to the same point of will with the, the dinner party, which is a great analogy. And what I started with, which is people just want to do what they want to do. And really, it's coming back around to, well, I'm not you know part of the religion, meaning I get to shirk all responsibility that I even have toward God, toward anybody else, because, well, me and God, we have an understanding. Like, this is the Blues Brothers or something. Completely off. Um, but, fellas, anything else we want to we wanna get into? Okay. Let's move to number three, and that is Jesus versus Rome. One Something we were talking about off-air, Jack. Actually, you explained this really well as we were talking about it, so I'm going to kick it back to you. But just to go over it again, we have Jesus versus Christians, 
Jesus versus religion. Third is Jesus versus Rome. What do you mean by Jesus versus Rome, Jack? So it's a very popular idea that's out there that Jesus' biggest enemy was Rome. And really, that's why he was killed, was he was a threat to Rome. He was, a, people will say, Jesus was a political revolutionary and, you know, kind of casting him as leading this people's uprising and the, the and Romans had to put him down. In fact, you'll see people say Jesus was killed for being an insurrectionist. And it's, number one, it's just factually untrue. But number two, it's, uh, again, you ask, what is this, why does somebody need to believe this? What are they giving cover for? And it's really the idea that Jesus was a socialist. Jesus held very left-wing politics, um, that, that Jesus really was authorizing all kinds of, you know, the stuff where critical theory applies to politics of, un, uh, of again, socialism, taking from the wealthy and giving to the poor, of, you know, unlimited immigration or whatever else. And, and these political ideas, Brian Zond is a really big name on this wing of things. And uh, over Easter weekend, you know, where a lot of people were talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection, this came up so much. Well, Jesus was killed because he was a threat to Rome. He was tried by one Roman guy. And that Roman guy, Pontius Pilate, said, I don't see a problem with him. He's innocent. My the, the blood is on your hands. This is on you guys if you want to kill him. I'll let you do it. You know, I'll do it for you, but I don't see a problem with him. And so this idea that Jesus was Jesus came to overthrow the government and and boy he was put down and and if he were here today, he would lead this you know, he would be a Bernie voter. Like okay, hold on now. And then the other side of it is that and and a, a side of things I had kind of been on for a, a time was that Jesus is against all government. That God's natural government or natural enemy here on earth is the government, and and so Rome was was Jesus's enemy. That's who he preached against. That's that's who the church's enemy was. And throughout the New Testament, it really wasn't. Uh, now, of course, they eventually persecuted the church greatly, but the, all of this is to recast Jesus for a political ideology. I was reading through John, um, I think it was John 6 recently, with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is one of those passages, you know, Jesus is a socialist. He just gives to everybody. And that's really what it's all about is just notice the utopia of him sitting there and feeding all these people. And that's what Jesus, you know what Jesus comes back around to? You're only following me because of my food. They all left after that. Yeah, exactly. Eat my my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, uh, what? I don't think I'm going to go well, there. Well, the other thing is they wanted to make him their king to lead them into battle. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm here for. Right. And there's a, that's such a misinterpretation specifically regarding Rome. That's something that you reference. We've been teaching through Revelation. And there's the 69, there's the 96, you know, which, which date would you go with? And, um, of course, we're taking the earlier date about the destruction of Jerusalem, the 80, 68, 69 date. But the later date is so much about Rome persecuting the church and all this Roman persecution. But when you study it, it's like, you know what? Rome didn't really persecute the church that much until the Jews forced them to, until the Jews really kind of put them on the on the scent, so to speak. And that's when they said, we have no king but Caesar, right? Um, they wanted the they wanted Rome to persecute the church, but up until Nero, there really wasn't much persecution. Well, the church had been around for 30 years at that point. So we look at it as Rome was the great persecutor of the church. Not really, especially not initially. It was the the Jewish people that rejected Christ. And so the idea that Jesus came to overthrow Rome, like first off, he had his opportunities. They were going to make him king and he turned it down. He waded through through the crowd and, and, you know, got away from that. So he had his opportunity. And second off, that completely goes against, in my opinion, his understanding of Rome. He already knew he was going to overtake Rome. This is Daniel 2.44 with that small stone, the pebble that was going to come through. His whole point was to bring about the church. 
So to say Jesus versus Rome and, and to pit him against government, once again, we now that I'm thinking about it, we really have a poor understanding of what the church is all about and the importance of the church and why the church is to overthrow all those things. Because this one goes back to the same thing. We don't understand what the church is here for. And so when we say Jesus was this political revolutionary, he couldn't care less about that, in my opinion. It's not that he, he completely avoided all politics. I mean, he had his render Caesar what Caesar, and he had his you know ways of getting into that it. That sounds like a revolutionary, doesn't it? A guy who said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and right. honor and all that. And that's exactly it. But once again, he comes, he establishes the church, and we go, well, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. It's kind of like we're premillennialists that he's going to come back and establish a kingdom here. No, he's not. His kingdom was the church. And to pit him against Rome and say that he was a political revolutionary, that's what they had expected to see. That's why Jesus was so great, is they were expecting to have another Judas Maccabees who was going to come in and, and really hand it to Rome. Um, and they had guys that rose up even after Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to do those things. That's not what Jesus was all about. And that's why the Jews reject him to this day, is because they don't, he wasn't what they figured he would be, which is exactly what we're saying, you know, these people pit him as, as, as the way, the revolutionary that's going to overthrow the kingdoms of the world. The Jews are still waiting on that to this day, and they missed the Christ because of it. We have to make sure we don't do the same thing. When you hear people just casting Jesus that way for their politics, well, Jesus was a hippie, he was a revolutionary, he was, you know, he was against Rome and spoke, no, you know they're going somewhere with that, you know they have an agenda, it's just not biblical at all. Um, let's get to our fourth, this is, you. I think Will said Jesus' first religion is, is maybe the one you hear the most, and I think that's true. Uh, this one is growing, this is one that has really gained some momentum in the last five to ten years, I think. Um, I, it's not a new thing, but there, there's something you hear a lot more, and that's Jesus versus Paul. The idea that Jesus came and, and taught one set of ideas, and then Paul came and kind of co-opted the whole movement into a different direction. So let's talk about that a little bit. Well, you hear stuff like this when, you know, people will try to say that, well, Paul was harsher than Jesus. Like, like Paul took stances that Jesus never took, and they'll, they'll you know, things like homosexuality, just sexual sin in general, things like... Uh, male leadership, women remaining silence. You know, people will pit Paul and Jesus against each other and then say, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go with Jesus on that one. You know, kind of the holier-than-thou mindset of, you know, Jesus was above Paul, therefore we can basically discount anything that Paul says, which is simply not true. I mean, again, you see people, again, paint this idea of Jesus as this, you know, quiet, and obviously Jesus was meek, but this guy that never said anything controversial, just this real pushover, sheepish kind of guy, whereas Paul is this rambunctious, brash guy that is just as out to, again, tick everybody off and just say all these hard things that, you know, wouldn't fly in today's world. And so therefore, again, we can basically discount everything Paul says and choose to go with Jesus because he, quote unquote, didn't address it. Several things to, to dissect here, um, and I, I don't want to take all of them, but the one that I'll hit is just the obvious misunderstanding that Jesus and Paul were two different personality types. The idea that Paul was harsh and Jesus wasn't is simply untrue. Uh, maybe harsh is not the best word, but blunt maybe. I'll put it at that. Um, again, people want to give the idea that Jesus never really said anything controversial. You've already brought it up. Have you ever read Matthew 23? Have you ever read the, the sections where he's flipping tables in the temple and addressing and calling out people? Uh, John 8, you know, John, uh, when he's addressing the woman caught in adultery, very blunt. It was very loving, but it was very blunt. Hey, go and don't sin anymore. You can't you can't be doing this anymore. Same thing, John 4. Um, again, people want to say, well, Paul was the harsh one, Jesus was the loving one. 
Jesus very much took stances. Jesus very much took stances on things like sexual sin and homosexuality in Matthew 19 and, and places like that. Jesus very much took stances on st- on things that needed to be, uh, you know, founded or things that needed to be established. And again, just the ironic thing, the ironic thing about people pitting Jesus against Paul is, hey, do you believe the Bible or not? Because who did Paul get his commission from? Jesus Christ himself. And so the idea that the, these two guys kind of had differing ideas and they were kind of enemies, so to speak, is just ridiculous on its face because of, again, who was Paul commissioned by? Who spoke to him on the road to Damascus? And so I'll try to leave some of the other material for you guys to cover, but this one to me is one of the most ridiculous. Once again, I hate to keep bringing up Revelation, but look at the way Jesus addresses the churches. Jesus is the one addressing in, in Revelation 2 and 3. It's very Pauline. It, like, hey, you're doing this well. But I have this against you. You need to shore this up. And if you do, there's something better for you. Is that not really the structure of most of Paul's letters? Yeah, there's Galatians and such where he doesn't say anything good. But most of the letters are build up, tear down, build up. That's exactly what Jesus does. Uh, And, of course, there's a couple that don't have anything to tear down over. There's one, I think, that is all tear down. But still, there's the idea of, you know, basically Jesus and Paul go hand in hand in how they're addressing the church and calling them to something greater. And so we deal with, you know, what, where you see this most is where you're getting into, and, and you know, get, Will, you've mentioned some of these, but where you're getting into the ideas of sexual sin, the ideas of male leadership uh, and, and women's roles and such. Because John doesn't necessarily discuss women's roles that much, um, and, and Paul's the one that kind of takes the, the lead on this one, well, Paul is, that's just Paul. That's not what Jesus would say. Jesus really doesn't discuss women's roles. That's not... The church hadn't been established by the time Jesus died. The church is established, obviously, after. So all of these things are coming up, but do we really think that Jesus, and this goes against the inspiration of Scripture, ultimately, do we really think that that the Holy Spirit would inspire Paul to say something that Jesus wouldn't? And so on the surface, this sounds like it has a little um, gravitas to it. You know, well, Jesus and Paul, yeah, they are kind of different. No, what you're ultimately, if, if you fall into this, what you're ultimately saying is Paul wasn't inspired. Or Jesus wasn't inspired. <laughs> Which one do you want to take? If they're both inspired, then we have to realize that there's no issue between them. Or you're saying one of them isn't. So once again, we want to we want a different thought on sexual sin. We we don't want Paul's teaching on women's roles. And so we'll say, well, that's not Jesus saying it, as though Jesus holds some higher authority, and Paul wasn't um, inspired by God by by the Holy Spirit Himself, who Jesus said would be a helper, and it was better that the Holy Spirit would come. In John, you know, 13, 14, 15, as he's describing the, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit was better for Jesus to leave and the Holy Spirit to come, which is what Paul was using. Well, again, Jack, I'll, I'll let you get in here. They, they pit these two against each other, and basically they're implying that the Bible contradicts itself, that Paul and Jesus said conflicting things and both can't be correct. Again, is that really the ground you want to stand on, where, uh, you know, you've got two inspired writer or two, and Jesus wasn't a writer, but two guys that were inspired of God that said two different things that, you know, don't like, we saw this when we were having the big public Facebook disagreement about singleness as opposed to marriage and which one is, you know, preferred by God. So many people, when we were bringing up verses about, hey, you know, be fruitful and multiply, it's, it's better to marry, all these things. Well, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, so and it, they were taking Paul's side in that instance. But again, this idea that the Bible contradicts itself somehow and what we tried to point out in the episode that followed that whole debacle is 
the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so if, if there is something that on the surface looks like, oh, there's two different things going on there, maybe some deeper study is needed. Maybe you can't just take the, the surface reading and say, oh, there you go. Uh, we'll go with Jesus or we'll go with Paul. You pick your side. That's not how the Bible works, and you shouldn't interpret the Bible that way. Sorry, Jack, go ahead. No, you're fine. I mean, to give an example of what we're talking about, if, if it's a little abstract for folks, uh, Beth Moore, I think I've read these tweets on an episode before. It's been a long time. But she's kind of one of the people pushing this as somebody who is trying to become a bigger and bigger woman preacher and more and more all the time is going, well, no, there's the Bible allows more than, than I used to believe. She had a tweet a while back saying, we have to reckon with the fact that we, myself included, went too far. We put limitations on women that exceeded what Christ demonstrated. We did it instead of wrestling with the tension between the Gospels and Epistles, and we're watching a backlash. A tension between the Gospels and the Epistles? That's what We would call that a, a Bible contradiction, that Jesus said one thing and Paul said another. And, and so we call that heresy. why would she need there to be tension? Well, yeah, I mean, like, this to believe that would be that the Bible contradicts itself. You're just, so you start undermining all kinds of stuff. She had another tweet about, you know, yeah, the scripture is authoritative, but Paul isn't Jesus. And it's like, nobody's saying he is. But if God has given him the authority that what he says, you know, is, is inspired and authoritative for the church, then we better take it as such. It's from God in that sense. And so, um, but again, you can see the play being run here of, well, yeah, Paul... Paul's lesser. Paul is secondary scripture. Uh, we uh, did a, a Who Let the Dogma episode out on red letter Christianity of we're only going to take Jesus's red letters. And and so you got Sermon on the Mount and you've got things like that that are obviously great. But if you're only taking those, you can start pitting them against the rest of scripture like Paul. And so you're, you're trying to undermine other Bible teachings that are very clear by just saying, well, that was Paul. That wasn't Jesus. Not a good habit to have and so um you know we can go too far and and spend way too much time on paul and not actually spend much time on jesus and the gospels and all that i've seen that mistake be made too just teach the whole council that's what we do and and that includes paul's words as well each of these seem kind of you know like not that big a deal on the surface well what's the big deal but again the more you drill into it exactly as you just said like this is really insidious this is these are they speak to much bigger and deeper issues and if we give any credence to these things if we allow any of this we open pandora's box we open to the insufficiency or or uh, of scripture or the contradictions of scripture or we open to the church really doesn't matter or toward um you know when we say religion doesn't matter i mean each of these things is like really really bad but on the surface, it doesn't seem that bad. You hear these things so much, it's like, oh, I, you know, he gets us. These commercials, he gets us. And we see these right and left. And no, they didn't cover the Paul one, but they've covered some of the other ones. Um, and, and the religious, and Jesus is challenging. He's got his uh, posse, and they're in the hood. And like, Je you, Jesus accepts all walks of life, basically. Like, Jesus disagreed with loved ones. That's what it was. Right, right yeah. exactly. Like, this is really dangerous when we start entertaining these things, but it seems like, well, you know, Jesus is, at least we're kind of talking about some things, and, and at least he gets us as talking about it, like, but it, once again, it's opening Pandora's box to all sorts of negative things. I want to move into number five, though, because this is another one that we keep talking about all the ones you see the most. I think this one has actually moved out of the zeitgeist, so to speak. I don't think it's as, as big a deal right now, but man, this one has been huge before, and that is Jesus versus the Old Testament God. Well, we have Jesus, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus is very loving, and he doesn't, he would never stone anybody, he would never, as a matter of fact, you know, when they went to stone her, 
he um, he said, let you know the man who has no sin be the first to cast the stone. And so clearly Jesus doesn't agree or doesn't believe in Old Testament God type of thing. Basically and it's way different. the Old Testament God as the almost villain. Type. That's exactly it. He's a jerk. He's he's mean. He is um, exacting. He's all of the things that Jesus is not. And it's like, boy, I, I don't want to stand anywhere near you because we absolutely have the same God. And he strike, you know, struck people dead back then too. So I think this is one of those that when you consider the wrath of the Old Testament God and the peace of the New Testament God, Jesus is somebody who brings peace, right? That's not true. What did Jesus say? He's he's coming and there's going to be a division, right? He brings the sword. Like, what do we see in Revelation? He's bringing the sword. What do we see in, in multiple places? Jesus is someone who, yes, following Jesus divides. But we don't see it that way because he's not necessarily killing people in mass the way that the God of the Old Testament, which is God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the same God, you know, he did it back then, but we don't see him do it in the New Testament. Jesus would never kill that many people. Jesus does he's basically light on sin. Once again, on the surface, people say this, and it's like, yeah, no, I kind of understand. No, we're opening the door to serious heresy here. There's a cognitive dissonance here between God approved David killing Goliath, right? I mean, like, that that's something that happened. That's, that's reality. Um, and yet with Jesus, you know, he's nonviolent, turn the other cheek. And, of course, the gospel is not to spread through the sword. You're not supposed to be you know, making people convert at gunpoint or anything like that. But people kind of apply that to all of life and everything becomes about evangelism. And so it's kind of like, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus process David killing Goliath? And, you know, some people look at it as maybe that was a necessary evil. Maybe that was, you know, it was okay for a time, but it's not anymore. And, and you know, just that self-defense, killing, violence, those kind of things that you see in the Old Testament. Jesus basically forbid Christians to take part in that. That's where you get, we had our self-defense episode where you have Christians saying, you can't defend your family. You're not supposed to carry, you know, a weapon to defend yourself or, you know, if somebody comes into your church to shoot them up or whatever and, and you bring up, well, okay, what about, you know, David and Goliath? God was not always against all killing in every situation. Well, but Jesus, like something changed. Like that, that doesn't go anymore. Like what, what was okay then is not okay now. And, Again, one of the things that the Old Testament is great about is it gives us all kinds of situations in life. The New Testament doesn't have that. The New Testament does not walk us through the ups and downs of life. It doesn't walk us through much narrative of the average person's everyday life. And and so the Old Testament shows us how God relates to people in day-to-day life, in difficult situations, in situations that seem kind of like lose-lose. I mean, the judges, the kings, the, you know, Exodus, Numbers, there's a lot going on there. And when you make it out to be, well, well, God was some a certain way and dealt with people a certain way, but when Jesus came along, it's all spiritual, you know, very, very kind of Gnostic, removes us from the physical world, removes us from physical concerns, and it's all spiritual concern all the time. The spiritual spills into everything else, but it's not the only thing. And so Jesus doesn't just nullify all of those Old Testament principles we learn from how God dealt with people. What frustrates me about this one, especially from self-espousing Christians who will, you know, try to basically adopt and use this false dichotomy of Jesus versus the Old Testament God, is it's such an arrogant position. 
it's such a an arrogant mindset of okay, well, we're now so advanced and we're now so knowledgeable about what is quote unquote fair. And the God of the Old Testament is just unfair. That's just unfair. It's unfair that those would be the punishments. And it's just so harsh that, that those are the things that that he said had to happen when somebody broke the law. And you know, it, it's our position that you know you get what I'm saying here that it's. It's all about what we think, and we're ignoring the fact, again, from people who would claim to believe in God and claim to follow the Bible, but tend to adopt this idea, what does that say about your position on God? It's basically saying that you know better than him, that you know better than even the Old Testament version of him, as if there are two different versions, which they're obviously not, and... A lot of times I think the arrogance behind this position can get missed. There are some things, I mean, what was God's basically answer to Job when Job was going through all of those heartbreaking things, losing every single one of his kids, cannot imagine uh, his, you know, his wealth, his livestock, basically his entire life ripped to shreds. And he, in a lot of people's minds, rightly and reasonably questions God about all these things. What's God's answer to him? Basically... Pipe down, you don't know everything. I'm God, you're not. That's obviously a paraphrase, but that was his answer. There are things that we don't get to understand. There are things that are going to be beyond explanation for us as humans, but we want everything to be wrapped up so nice in a tidy box with a bow on it as far as well, we can easily explain this, and, and this seems fair in our eyes. God is God at the end of the day. And you know, some might say, well, that's a cop-out answer. God knows everything and we don't, is, is, is how I would put that. And again, the arrogance behind this position of, well, we think it should be this way, and God didn't do it that way in the Old Testament, so therefore that doesn't really count, is such an arrogant, prideful position that obviously I don't think we can take. Well, in the wrath of God, you know, as you consider kind of the, the as you're talking, Will, the justice and such, the wrath of God, we have to realize, we say it was poured out on Jesus, like we realize that, yeah, sure, sure, sure. No. The same wrath that he took to obliterate all the people, the Amorites and, and, you know, the Canaanites, all of those people, the same wrath that he took to obliterate all of them because they had filled their cup uh, of, of sinfulness pretty much until he squashed out the grapes, that was all poured out on Christ. That was why that was such a difficult thing, you know, for, for Jesus to go to the cross is not, I don't think it was just the, the physical pain. It's the fact that the wrath of God himself is poured out on Christ. And that's what we come to remember every first day. If you day don't day. get that picture on the Old Testament, if you leave that out, what does that do to your view of what Jesus saved you from? It's like, oh, well, no big deal. You know, yeah, it's it, exactly it gives it. you such a, a bigger perspective. Because the wrath that should have been poured out on you, and Isaiah 53 gets to this, right? The wrath that should have been poured out on you, that was poured out on these old nations because of their sin, all went toward Christ. That's the amazingness of the sacrifice, but that also points to, for those that aren't in Christ, that wrath is still coming, and it's called hell. And so people look at it, and this is why you have the Rob Bells of the world that get away from hell. Well, that just seems so mean. It's like, have you never read the Old Testament? Do you not know what God thinks of sin? Well, that's, you know, the New Testament God. No, that was just poured out on Jesus. That's how bad that was, where God turns his back on Jesus in that moment right? Like that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a wrath that we can't even begin to comprehend. But I will tell you at the judgment, there'll be a lot of people who comprehend it. And all of a sudden, this Old Testament God is going to come back. And people, well, I thought Jesus was super nice. Jesus upheld the same Old Testament God. So yeah, we got to be very careful of this one. Because God is not just all knowing, Jack, I'll hand it to you in a second. He's, he's all righteous. He's pure. He's holy. Right. And what that wrath illustrates is just how desperately wicked we are we as humans are basically you know we're not going to get into original sin or anything like that but obviously we as human we're our righteousness is as filthy rags you know we know that from isaiah chapter 64 
again, our world and culture likes to tell us ba- that we're basically good people, and so that's why the Rob Bells of the world can get away with, well, you know, hell, is God really going to send a bunch of re- decently good people to hell? Yeah, he is, because they're not decently good people when it comes to comparing comparing themselves to him, because he is righteousness, he is holiness. Again, this position really negates and nullifies the righteousness and holiness of God. Our utter need for Jesus Christ. Exactly. All right, let's 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 get this final one. Um, it's kind of a comp- combination of the Paul uh, one, of the Old Testament one, but really the broader. I mean, it's, it's on the same level as them. And this is a newer one that I'm seeing there's um, more of an embrace of this. I'm, I'm seeing it enter the conversations more. That's Jesus versus the Bible in general. Jesus versus the rest of God's word. And I'm going to read a tweet. I'm not going to name this person. I could name Beth Moore because she's, you know, got a bazillion followers, doesn't have a clue who we are. I don't want to be mean. This is somebody in the Churches of Christ, a, a preacher, tweeted, I'm not a follower of the Bible, but a follower of Jesus. That may seem arbitrary to some because the Bible teaches us about Jesus, but the difference is vast. I'm a follower of the Bible. Uh I don't have a problem saying that. I, I think that's an okay thing to say. That doesn't mean you don't follow Jesus. And what you're doing here, and what we're doing with a lot of these things, is creating a false dichotomy. We are separating uh, Jesus and his word. Jesus and, again, what was said in the Old Testament. Jesus and the law. Jesus and Paul. Saying that these are two separate things. Is I'm going to follow the Bible or I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, which one is it? Both. And and so Jesus himself, I mean, John 5, he talks about that, you know, that the word testifies of him, but also you're searching the scriptures to find God. They would reveal them, you know, reveal me, that if you were searching the scriptures, right, you would find me. And so when we try and put them against each other, it's, you don't, I, I, I kind of get what's being said here, but somebody who properly understands God understands Jesus. But again, let's talk about what the the motive why somebody would introduce this false dichotomy and what they get out of it by doing so well if we place our faith in you know the bible then a lot of times and i think what that tweet is is heading toward is okay well i follow jesus if i follow the bible then i get all of the accolades the glory goes to me you know i'm i'm a really good person because i follow the bible and we have to make sure that we are balancing grace in that and that we're not strict rule keeping and that's what saves us. And I think that's more of what he's going for is making sure that we don't pride ourselves on strict rule keeping and being those who, who perfectly follow the Bible. We know we're not going to perfectly follow the Bible and that's why we do need Jesus. However, in my opinion, that's still a horrible take to pit the two against one another because how do we perfectly follow Jesus by looking at Scripture and when we perfectly follow the Bible, we do become more like Jesus, but those two have to go hand in hand. We cannot separate them in any way, because if we separate Jesus from the Bible, who you know, how do we know what we're following? And if we take the Bible, but well, we don't bring in the, the grace of Jesus, you know, we don't bring in any theology about who Jesus is and why we need him, well then, you know, we're, we go back to Old Testament, like to Judaism, where it's law-abiding, but the Isaiah 1 of, like, I'm tired of all of these just going through the motions, you know, with all your festivals and everything. So those can't be separated from one another, and to do that is is very, again, it's just dangerous. Anytime you are downplaying the importance of God's inspired word, for any reason, you probably better be very careful with where you're, with the path that you're headed. 
again, you guys spoke to probably the spirit of that particular tweet and maybe that idea. That still reads to me incredibly dangerously close to, I don't want to say blasphemy, but pretty bad. Anytime you're trying to, again, downplay the Word of God and say, well, it's less important than it. It's the inspired Word of God. Um, Again, this is something that you can't pit these two against each other, the Jesus versus the Bible, because, to Joe's point, how do, you, how do we be more Christ-like? If we didn't have the Bible, how would we know how to be more Christ-like? We wouldn't. How would we know how to follow Jesus? We wouldn't. That's what so much, That's what the New Testament literally is, is showing us, here's Jesus, here's the, the grace, the salvation that is available through him, now here's how to be like him. Here's how to follow him. We don't get that without the Bible. And yes, obviously, you guys said it. It's not about legalism and, and being strict, works-based, rule-keeping, and that's all there is to it. But there's got to be some element of that. There's got to be some element of, again, a pattern to follow, a lifestyle to live, a here's how to be like Jesus. You can't downplay that. Again, it's just one of those things, anytime you're downplaying God's word and, and saying, well, it's less important than X, Y, and Z, probably not a great place to be. Consider the Old Testament kings, how excited they are when they find the word of God, right, Josiah? Like, he finds the word of God. Well, we just want to follow God. I don't know that it's about the law right. this, as this, much. This word, this word thing isn't that big a deal. Uh, yeah, I think we can just follow God, you know, kind of understand. Because we don't. We want to make sure that we're not putting all of our hope on, you know, us following the word of God. It's like, that was the coolest thing that they had ever found. They find this book, and it's like, what is this? Guys, we got to get right. I mean, that's what the Word of God does, is it, we look at it, it's like James talks about the man who looks in the mirror and forgets about it. We look in the Word of God, and we go, whoa, we are way off. We don't look anything like what we're supposed to, and without that mirror that we have, which is the Word of God, without the Old Testament kings finding that, it's it's a, you know, we're just kind of shooting our shot and hoping that we figure out how to live like God wants us to live. No, I mean, it has to be there. And well, so to pit the two against each other, yeah, it's it's just, it's that's not good. It's what I was talking about a second ago about, well, just be a good person, right? Just That's kind of the general idea, be a good person. Well, what does that look like? You know, if you're defining that according to yourself or defining that according to the world, that's where you get into trouble. The, the be a good person thing has to be defined according to God's word and Christ, yes, but the Bible. To a standard. Right. It's the overcorrection, two ditches, pendulum thing we talk about so much that there it's very much a ditch to, as I talked about a bit ago, go all Bible and not enough Jesus. And as Joe's saying, law, you know, legalism and things like that. Um, but this overcorrection is Jesus without the Bible. And what you see people doing is they'll look at other parts of the Bible and say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't meet with what I see as the character of Jesus. You know, Jesus, I don't see the character of Jesus telling women they can't preach. I don't, when I read about Jesus, I just don't see a Jesus who would, you know, say that I have to stop sinning, that I have to, you know, uh, stop sleeping with my, my girlfriend. I don't see, and, and so again, this, this character of Jesus thing, you end up with a Jesus without the Bible and you just end up cutting and pasting whichever Bible verses you want and you don't. And so the middle of the road, the, the, the balance that you need is a Jesus informed by the Bible, that you know Jesus through his word, which gave him to you, the whole thing. Genesis through Revelation, again, not just the red letters as we talked about a bit ago with the, the Paul issue or the Old Testament issue or whatever else. And and so, as you said with that tweet, that gets very dangerous to that overcorrection of, you know what, I'm just going to focus on Jesus and my interpretation of Jesus. Well, guess what? As you guys mentioned with the Old Testament point, the God who wouldn't explain himself to Job, that's Jesus. The God who flooded the entire world and cared to everybody, 
Jesus is behind that. Jesus is on board with that. The God who, you know, uh, love and grace and all, all of these elements of God that we see throughout the Bible are all part of revealing him to us and, and revealing Jesus to us. He's not separate. I mean, it's, you're messing with a lot of heresies. You're messing with the inspiration and infall- you know, the, of the accuracy of scripture. You're messing with the Trinity. You're messing with the, the, the sinlessness of Christ. And you're, I mean, it's just, it's a house of cards. And when you start going down that road, and so every time all of these false dichotomies that we create of Jesus between Christians, Jesus between religious rule keeping, Jesus between the Old Testament or Rome, or all all of these, as I said at the start, it's setting us up to get our way on something by pretending Jesus was with us, that Jesus hates what we hate. No, it's our job to hate what Jesus hates. It's our job to love what Jesus loves, not co-opt him into caring about and, and desiring exactly what we desire in fact that's a good point that i will give to whichever author it was that wrote this that if jesus loves everything and everybody you love and hates everybody and everything you hate that's probably not jesus that's probably not and that's probably an idol that you've created is a pretty good litmus test if he agrees with you all the time and you never see you never have cognitive dissonance where you're looking at yourself going man jesus didn't do what i would have done there well then you've probably just made him into a, a mirror image of you, and it's not actually him. I thought when you said that's that's a really good point. I thought you were talking about yourself. I'm like, well, that's a little, that's a little <laughs> arrogant. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, it was a good are, point. We're going to wow. take that for granted. We know that. <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> sure, sure. But that's a great point to say. Are we starting with us, or are we starting with Jesus? When we start with us, we read these things, read Jesus into our ideas, our perceptions. It goes back to what we said at the very beginning, which is we want to do what we want to do, and let's figure out how Jesus can make it happen. Jesus becomes anything we need him to be. And to your point, man, we have to start with, okay, who is Jesus, and how do I align myself with him, not the other way around? Um, and so, fellas, with this, is there anything else we want to get into? Any any other thoughts that we... And look, if you're listening, you may disagree with some things, you may agree with some things, or you may be saying, man, you guys are missing a glaring, glaringly obvious one. Uh, how did you guys not cover this one? Please let us know. If there's one that you consistently hear, comment, you know, Facebook, you know, get a hold of us, subscribe to Focus Plus, and that way you can, you know, share your thoughts with us and we will uh, shout them out on air. That would be fantastic. But we want to know your thoughts specifically regarding this subject of did we hit all the ones that you thought we might hit? Are you seeing anything different? So with that, I think if, if we're good, fellas, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. But we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you again next week.